0: Take your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, you can be seated there. And uh, we have been studying together through this book this summer, and I've enjoyed uh, picking up in chapter 5 after these other guys have uh, taken a few spots. Next week, I'm going to be out of town, but um, excited to have Brother Joe Pete fill in and uh, he did not speak to you this summer, so you'll enjoy hearing from him. He's preparing uh, to cover the next few verses uh, past where we're going to go tonight. We're going to be in verses nine through 11. First Peter, or I'm sorry, first Peter, First Thessalonians, that's confusing, right? Five verses nine through 11. We have been uh, talking about the subject of children of light children of light. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, we have really a comparison between the child of the light and the child of darkness. We've seen that a child of the light is one who knows Christ as their personal Savior. A child of darkness is one who doesn't know the truth and has never been set free from their sin. And last week, we looked at the truth that a child of the light is dressed. They're ready to go. They are awake. They are alert. And as we look at verses 9 through 11, I want you to think about this uh, perspective on being a child of light that we as children of light shine better together. We shine better together. Tonight, when we were preparing for this service, uh, one of the things that I do and other people around here do is we walk through this building and turn the lights on. You know, even with all the windows and all the doors and everything, this building, as it gets towards evening time, can be kind of a dark place if the lights are turned off. And in the back of this auditorium, as sometimes happens by accident, there's a a line of light switches back there and occasionally, accidentally, one of them will get bumped by one of the men in the back who's helping to run the sound. And if that ever happens, don't worry. Uh, The sky is not falling. There's uh, nothing horrible taking place, but you will notice a significant difference even if just one of those switches is pushed. Each switch takes one line of these lights and turns them off. And we've done that so that for different services and things, sometimes we need to have the lights off in the back if there's a children's program or something, or maybe we just want the spotlights on in the front. But we like to have lots of lights so everybody can see. Hopefully you can read your Bible there and write and take notes and, and see what's going on. But if even one light goes out, it is a significant difference. Light has the ability to work together, and as more lights are shining, it collectively shines a brighter light. And if you were to walk in this room, you would be correct in saying the lights, plural, are on, but you would also be correct if you said the light, singular, is on, and we would understand both of those statements. I think the same can be true in the Christian life, and I think we'll see that tonight in our text of Scripture, that we understand the light as the truth the light is jesus christ the scripture that says the light of the world is jesus and we as children of light if you will are like little lights or reflectors of the light but if even one of those little lights goes out it can be very noticeable by others who are looking in and watching and so as I read this text tonight, really think about that, that perspective that we shine better together. First Thessalonians 5 verse 9 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to, sal- but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. I just have two main points tonight with a few subpoints under each one, so there's not lots and lots of points to write down, but I hope that you'll be able to grasp this idea very clearly that we shine better together. In verses 9 and 10, we see clearly that the assurance of the Christian's home is in heaven. We have the assured, our our home is assured in heaven because of the work of Jesus Christ. Notice again in verse 9, he says, God has not appointed us to wrath. God has not appointed us to wrath. What does this mean? Well, if you were here the last few weeks, you'll remember that we talked about the day of the Lord. The coming day of judgment that will come upon this world. And we see the day of the Lord talked about in many of the Old Testament prophets. And we see that, I did, that day described in much detail in the book of Revelation. And this day, this is the coming time of judgment that we would say happens during that great tribulation period. And it's really encouraging. To me, this would be a text that would point to, and I'm sorry if I'm too technical, But I don't think this is for you guys. This is midweek crowd. You're thinkers. But I think this is a great text to help point us towards the truth that we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Because right here it says God has not appointed us to wrath. So we would believe as a church that as Christians, if we know Christ Jesus our Lord, we won't have to go through that day of wrath or through that day of tribulation which we know is more than a single day it's a period of time that lasts for a while for about seven year period with the last three and a half years of it getting really really bad God has not appointed us to wrath so for the Christian we will not face the great tribulation or day of our Lord rather what does he say in verse 9 but He says to obtain salvation by our lord jesus christ so what is our assurance for a christian that we have our home in heaven well the first part of that is that god has not appointed us to wrath the second part of that assurance is found in the second part of verse 9 where it says that god has given us salvation by our lord jesus christ we obtain salvation by our lord jesus christ john 14 in verse 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. My assurance of a home in heaven is not based on my work, it's based on his. It's because I've come to God through the work of Jesus Christ who died in my place. And it's Jesus Christ who is preparing a home for me in heaven. And guess what? If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's preparing a home in heaven for you as well. Our assurance as a believer, as a Christian, is from two directions. One, that God has not appointed us to wrath. And two, that God has given us salvation through our Lord jesus christ and notice in verse 10 he he builds on this idea of what christ did so that we might obtain salvation do you see it there in verse 10 the lord jesus christ verse 10 who died for us so paul is being really clear here and it's interesting this letter is written to christians he's writing to christians to encourage them to comfort them to instruct them about the end of days. And he's saying to them that God has not appointed us to wrath, but rather to obtain salvation. And he's done this through Jesus Christ who died for us. Isn't it interesting that he's writing this to Christians? They already knew that. Later on, We'll see in a moment, but in verse 11 that we read a few minutes ago, he points out and he says to comfort yourselves together and to edify one another. You know, I think one of the things that we should never overlook or minimize in the body of Christ is the importance of rehearsing truth over and over again. You say, well, I'm already a Christian. I already know that Christ died. But Paul thought it necessary to remind a bunch of Christians that Christ died for their sin. Because I don't know about you, there are days when we get discouraged, we get tired, we get lonely. We, we feel hurt inside. We kind of lose our way and lose our focus. We look at things going on in society and say, what now? What am I supposed to do? And, and Paul is writing to comfort and encourage these believers by reminding them that Christ died their sins may we as believers as children of god never get over the fact that christ died for our sins know, i think one of the dangers right of the christian life is that you live it long enough and you might forget what kind of sinner you were paul the apostle never forgot what kind of sinner he was, And he was careful to remind some of those churches he wrote to. I can think specifically of the church in Corinth as he listed out a whole bunch of different sins. And he said to them, and such were some of you. He reminded them where they came from. And he reminded them that Christ died for their sins. And he says in verse 10, back in 1 Thessalonians 5, Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Now, if you have your Bible there, look back to chapter four of First Thessalonians. This was covered in a message earlier this summer, but I just want to remind you of what it, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. He's writing here to encourage this church and to remind them that our salvation is through Jesus Christ because Christ died on the cross for our sin. Christ paid the penalty so we didn't have to. And he's also encouraging them by saying whether you're alive when Christ returns, or even if you've already died physically, when Christ returns, you have the assurance of a home in heaven. You know, that's very comforting, isn't it? It's very encouraging to know because we're living this life and each and every day brings with it new opportunities and new challenges, new victories, and sometimes even new defeats. And we can look around and say, what am I doing? What's really the purpose of it all? Where am I going? And Paul says, hey, whether you're awake or asleep and here he's not talking about being sluggish spiritually no he's talking about being physically alive or physically dead then you will live we should live together with him here in this passage of scripture we see a great encouragement and assurance to the christian of their home in heaven if you're still looking at first thessalonians 4 look down at verses 16 and 17 he reminded the people in this church he said for the Lord himself I love it that God doesn't just send somebody else to do this. He comes Himself. The Lord Himself, Jesus Christ, will come. Revelation tells us He'll be riding on this white horse. He's going to come to rule and to reign. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, those would be those in chapter 5 he calls asleep, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord forever, forever. Remember, uh, a week ago, we talked about, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how that future perspective gives us a present focus. When we know what's coming, it helps us to be prepared for it. Before the service tonight, I was having a conversation with a couple of of our ladies here about how knowing history helps us to be able to live our life that we're in today, right? To be able to understand the world that we live in and how to live in it. And isn't it wonderful that God's word gives us a history, if you will, of where we've come from spiritually. And it explains how Jesus Christ died in our place to pay for our sin. But it doesn't just give us the history, it also gives us the future of what's coming, so we can be prepared for that as well. We shine better together. But in order to shine better together, we have to understand that we are assured of a home in heaven if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I hope you know that. I hope you have that assurance that you've trusted in Him, Because if you do, God says that you have a home waiting for you in heaven someday. And then the last verse I want us to look at tonight is verse 11. Wherefore, he says, comfort yourselves together. So based on the truth that I've just explained to you, The truth that Jesus Christ died for your sins. The truth that whether you're awake or asleep when Christ returns, that you'll have an eternal home with Him in heaven. That God has not appointed us to wrath, but rather to obtain salvation. Based on that truth, he says, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And it's in this verse that I think we see this idea where I took the title for this message tonight, that we shine better together. He says, comfort yourselves together. And then he says, edify one another. So while we've seen the assurance of the Christian's home in heaven, we also see in verse 11 here the encouragement for the Christian today. All right, I have an assurance of my home in heaven, but what do I do now? What's the encouragement for today? for today. Well, he gives us two different commands, if you will, in this verse. The first one is to comfort. Comfort yourselves together. The second one is to edify one another. Comfort together and edify one another. Before I go into detail on comforting and edifying one another, notice how both of these things are to be done with others, together, one another. He doesn't say comfort yourself by yourself. He says comfort yourself together. That tells me this is to be done together as part of the body of Christ, as part of your church family, to comfort yourself together. And then he says and edify one another. He doesn't say edify yourself with this truth and comfort yourself with this truth. No, he says to comfort yourselves together and edify one another with this truth. I'm guessing you've probably found this to be true as well, but I have found in my life that sometimes the greatest comfort and the greatest challenge and encouragement to me is when I have the opportunity to comfort somebody else with truth and challenge them with truth. Anybody else ever found that? Like when you are the one doing the teaching or you are the one doing the instruction or you are the one challenging somebody else, it challenges you, it comforts you, it encourages you. Hey, moms and dads, have you ever had one of those moments where you're telling your children something to do or something that they shouldn't be doing and then all of a sudden the Lord hits you with the conviction of like, hey, buddy, you're the one, you need to stop doing that. You know why they're doing that? It's because they see you doing that, mom or dad. And you're going, oh, Lord, it'd just be easier if I could tell them what to do if if I didn't have to change. You know, it's always easy to see the problems in other people and fix them without having to change ourselves and i think this is some of what he's getting at here he's not saying comfort yourself edify yourself he's saying comfort others edify one another do this together i want to take you to a couple more passages of scripture as well to give us just a little more clarity on this idea hebrews chapter 10 these are probably familiar verses to many of you hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 The Bible says this, and let us consider one another, one another, to provoke unto love and to good works. So I had to be encouraging you and challenging you to do right. That's not because I have it all figured out and I'm perfect. That's not what it's saying. He says, but we're to be doing this one with another. So it's not just one guy telling everybody else what to do. No, it's It's each other keeping each other accountable to the truth and to the Word of God, to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I know, oh boy, he's telling us to be in church. We even got here on a Wednesday night. We got through the Houston traffic. We did everything to get here. Thank you for doing that. I know it's a lot of work. I've been here most of the day. I did venture out in the Houston traffic today, Um, had the opportunity to go up and visit with Ed Kinney, he's going through radiation treatments right now. And so went up and visited with him and Sandra at the hospital today. Pray for Ed. He's got radiation treatments five days a week for eight weeks in a row. That's a lot of back and forth and a lot of time in the radiation lab. So I got out a little bit, but I didn't have to deal with the rush hour traffic to get here tonight. I didn't have to race home and throw on maybe some different clothes or Maybe you didn't even go home at all. You just kind of came here and you see your wife or your husband for the first time today. And, oh, hi, how are you? It's, it's good to see you, right? People, we've come from different places and gone through different things. But here in Hebrews 10, it's encouraging us, challenging us to be together as the body of Christ. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's hard to edify one another and comfort one another if we aren't together. I see here the importance of the body of Christ working together in unity for the mutual comfort and edification of the whole body. Another passage of Scripture we've looked at a number of times in here, so I won't take time to preach it all in all of its points to you and unpack all the truth that's there. But Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 16 is another passage of scripture that speaks about the body of Christ working together to accomplish the mission of Christ. Ephesians 4.11 says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all, there it is again, this whole group together, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children. We're to be spiritually mature, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. As you look around in society today, as you look around to those who may even call themselves to be Christians, would you say that morality and principled living is on the rise or it's in decline? Some would say it's completely gone, and where did it all go? Why? Well I think in part because believers have not done their job together to encourage one another, to comfort one another, and to edify one another in the truth in the truth what happens when we struggle in our lives spiritually physically whatever we tend to hole up and pull away and hide out and and get alone by ourselves because we don't want to have to deal with answering the hard questions we don't want to have to work through and talk about what's really going on in our lives It, it hurts too much it's easier just to be away but here we see the importance of this body working together to edify itself to encourage to build up to equip he says we are in verse 15 but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even christ from whom here is again the whole body that means every person matters in the body of christ I heard somebody say it this way one time, there are no vestigial organs in the body of Christ. Some people have said, well, I don't know what that thing in your body is there for. Well, if it's there, God put it there for a purpose. I believe that to be true. But sometimes there are certain body parts that people aren't even sure how all they function or what all they do. And so typically uh, when they get infected or something happens, well, just cut it off and they'll, they'll be okay. Well... Will they be or not? Maybe at least it fix a problem for a moment. I'll let let the doctors figure that issue out. But spiritually speaking, we should never look around the body of Christ within the church and say, well, I have no idea what their purpose is. I don't know why they're here. You know what? Let's just cut them off. Let's just get rid of them. It'd be easier to do it without them than to do it with them. And you know what? When a certain part of the body gets sick or is hurting spiritually, And yes, physically, it can be a drain, it can be a pull to the rest of the body. But that's not a chance for us to say, you know what, let's just amputate and move on. No, rather it's an opportunity for us to bring the healing balm of Gilead, the precious encouragement and grace of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that it's not ultimately our job to do the healing, it's Christ who is the great physician who does the healing not just physically but spiritually and changes lives but we do have the truth we have the word of god that we can take and minister that grace to others so we've seen in hebrews 10 and in ephesians 4 the importance of the encouragement of the body of christ for itself and that that encouragement must be done together we shine better together So before we finish tonight, I want us to think just briefly about these two words, comfort, because he tells us we are to comfort together and to edify, to edify one another, to comfort. Why do we need comfort? We often think of the word comfort as something that we need when we're discouraged or when things are hard, when a child wakes up in the night and they're whimpering, they need comfort when some, a little one falls and bruises their knee, they need comfort. When somebody loses a loved one, they need comfort. We understand the idea of comfort. Why does he say we are to comfort, comfort each other, comfort yourselves together? Well, we're comforting. Why? He says, wherefore? Wherefore what? Well, work backwards, right? Because of the return of Christ, because we will escape the day of wrath as believers, we are to comfort one another with that truth. So I I wrote it this way in my notes. Even in hard times, we can remember that Jesus will soon return. This is great comfort in times of hurt, times of sickness, and times of loss. It's a help in times of unknown, times of doubt, and times of fear. Jesus is coming again. There's great comfort in that. Once again, Paul's not writing these words to an audience that didn't know that truth. They already knew this truth. But he's comforting them by reminding them of the truth. Have you ever noticed that when you comfort A child when you comfort an adult doesn't matter who it is when you comfort them you're generally not telling them something they don't already know you're just reminding them of the truth that they already do know they already know I mean what does a mother say to her child when he falls and bangs his knee it'll be okay well he told him that the last time he was hurt but you're just reminding him again it'll be okay mommy's right here well mommy was there last time too why why is he why is she telling him that again she's comforting him with her words reminding her of the truth you know it's so important in the body of christ to comfort one another by reminding one another of the truth of the truth of god's word that's one of the things i'm really excited about in our church as we um, have our time like this on wednesday night to be able to bear one another's burden in prayer That's one of the ways we comfort one another because we get to hear your burdens and your burdens and your needs and and my needs and and we get to pray for them one for the other and say hey how can i help take your burden to the lord and let's be reminded together that god is faithful that jesus is coming back soon that god's word has the answers there's great comfort in that but then the second admonition that he gives us in verse 11 is that we are to edify one another, edify one another. To edify is to, to build up. Sometimes it's used in the context of, of teaching to admonish somebody else, but it's, it's the idea of taking truth and, and building upon it. Let, let me give you a, a little bit more perspective. Let me explain something in more Detail. It's really fun doing this with boys that are getting bigger in my house because they'll ask questions, you know, about something about an engine or something about, you know, uh, the way an animal moves or functions or something about a building or something about something in the world that's going on. Why is this? How is that? You know, even in a, in a, sad tragedy like we were remembering this past weekend on 9-11 my wife and i were having some conversations with our children none of them were alive when that took place and um, our youngest who's seven you know he's very far removed from those days and that he's never had any experience about that so we were taking the opportunity to talk through with him and explain to him what happened why it happened and some of the ramifications of that taking place and how that's affected our country and how that affects us and how it affects our world and how it changes things that we live in today wasn't comfort perhaps but it definitely was edification helping him to be able to process what he sees going on around him my children are studying some things in history right now and they were learning recently how back coming out of the Great Depression, or during the De- Great Depression, when this New Deal was put out, when the country here in the United States went off the gold standard, and when the government said, turn all your gold in and trade it out for, for paper money. And, and so that was very edifying to my kids, not to learn that people had to give up their gold, but to understand why owning gold is so important to some people, to many people, and probably a lot of people said, really, the government took away all the gold? Well, they tried to, they said that you should turn that in and they said, oh, that's really interesting. And, you know, then that makes a lot more sense why people maybe feel concerned when the government says, don't do this or do this. or we're going to take away your freedom to do that. Hmm, if they took away our gold, what, what else would they try to take away? And so they're just thinking through this kind of stuff. So it's important as a parent, we understand this, to edify, to teach, to help your children to understand the realities of the world that they live in so that they can exist and can perform in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and is in reality with the other things that are going on around them. So what is edification in light of the return of Christ? Well, for the believer, I think it's very simply this asking this kind of question because of the return of Christ because as a believer I'm assured of my home in heaven because I know that I won't have to face that day of wrath because I've been called to live as a child of the light then how should I be living today an edification is what takes place when we sit down together or we talk as individuals or you and your spouse get together or you and your friend at church and we say, well, what does God's Word tell us how we should live? Well, the list could be very long, but let me just give you a very small abbreviated list based on what we've already looked at in 1 Thessalonians 5. How should we live today? We should live soberly, clear-eyed, undistracted, Understanding that the things around us, while they may be beyond our control, they're not beyond God's control. That God has a plan. Jesus is coming again. Live soberly. We've already looked at this as well in 1 Thessalonians 5. As a believer in this day that we live today, we are to be armored up. Have our spiritual armor on. We talked last week about the breastplate and about the helmet that he talks about here in 1 Thessalonians 5. How should we live today? Well, very simply, looking for the return of Christ, expecting His return at any time and living in accordance with that truth. How should we live today? Well, obviously we should be sharing the gospel with others so they might know the truth of Jesus Christ as well. I wrote a couple of questions that you might consider in this idea of shining better together what am I doing today that's obscuring the light? Well, if I'm to be shining the light, we talked about at the beginning of the message, flicking off even one of those switches makes a big difference in how much light is being shown in this room. So am I doing something that's obscuring the light? Am I inadvertently bumping one of those switches and didn't even realize it? Or am I doing it on purpose because I have my own agenda over here that I want to do and this is my way and this is how it needs to be, but my agenda is really not in line with God's word. So what am I doing today that's obscuring the light? I think another perspective, and you could probably write some more questions to think about this, but one other one I wrote. What am I doing today that's pointing the light in the wrong direction? You know, as a child of the light, we are not the source of light. Jesus Christ is the source of light. We are just reflectors of His light. But am I over here reflecting it off on something other than the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel to change lives? Am I so busy taking my freedom as a believer in Christ or the truth of the gospel? And, and maybe I'm really excited about shining light, but I'm not shining light on things that matter. I, I'm not pointing people towards the truth. I, I'm really busy... But I'm not busy about anything that matters. I'm not busy pointing people towards the light that is Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11, this light that is to be shown is something that we do as we comfort one another and as we edify each other together. We do shine better together. When the light shines together, it shines brighter You know this on your car, right? When you turn on your brights, your regular headlights generally stay on too, and then there's a bright bulb that gets added to it. I remember when I was a kid, I got my first flashlight. I was really excited about it. It was this little bitty mag light that just had one single AAA battery in it. But the thing I loved about mag light flashlights is it had the spare light bulb in in the cap on the on the back end of it you know what i'm talking about you can unscrew that and pull the spring off and there was a light bulb and that little bitty pen light had a spare light bulb in the bottom of that of course as a as a kid i played with it so much i ended up breaking the light bulb before it ever actually got into the flashlight but fortunately i had the one that came in the light so i lost the spare but i was glad to have that one and thankful for it but as i got older i had i had so enjoyed that little mag light I saved up and I bought one of the big mag lights, you know, that has the three or four D batteries in it that looks more like a club than a flashlight, you know, but when you turn that light on it's bright. Why is it bright? Well the size of the bulb and it's significantly brighter. There's a lot more power going through it and today with LED lights, they often will have multiple LEDs all shining together. And of course, there's a mirror around it, and that's how that flashlight gets so bright. But if you had an LED flashlight and you started knocking out LEDs, what would happen with that light? It would quickly become dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. You know, God didn't put us here on this world, in this world as believers to just obscure the light or to shine it somewhere else. No, He put us here to shine brightly you've probably also seen on those flashlights the mag light would do this if you turn the top of it you could focus that beam and it would move the mirror up and down in relation to the light bulb inside and so that would give you either a wide beam or a very focused beam and uh, so you spin the top and it shines in a wider space or a, or a narrow space And you think about that in relation to the truth Of God's Word and sharing the hope of the gospel we can get really busy kind of shining the light sort of slightly around or we can focus on the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us these truths are not really complicated truths to understand they're right here in our text and I think anybody could read this and say well yeah Very clearly, we are to be comforting ourselves together and edify one another. And notice, Paul says at the end of verse 11, even as also ye do. What's he saying here? You're already doing these things. So just keep on. Keep on doing it. You know, maybe the truth that you need to hear today is not that you need to learn something new, although perhaps you do have some new things to learn, but it's to stay faithful in what you're already doing. To stay faithful in the work that God has given you I don't know about you but there are days I feel like I'm just not enough I'm not gonna be able to get everything done that needs to be accomplished and that's actually true We, we can't do it all on our own but it's also very comforting to be edified by the truth that this world is not our home and that Jesus Christ is the one that saves souls not us and that all of the wrongs that we see around us, all of the injustices that are around us, and we say, I don't like that. That makes me feel bad. Or I see this wickedness prevailing, and righteousness seems to be struggling. The Lord's going to put all those things right someday. That's both comforting and edifying for us and helps us to shine bright as a light for Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this truth, and, and I pray that you would help it sink into our minds that we might be comforted by it tonight and be edified, be challenged and built up, encouraged to live faithfully because of the Lord's soon return. Because as a believer in Christ, we don't have to face His wrath. Because the work of Jesus Christ was finished when He died on the cross for our sin. He doesn't have to go back and die again and again and again for our sin. We don't have to bring sacrifices over and over and over again. We don't do this work to earn salvation. No, we do it because we have earned salvation. or We we have received salvation through the work that You have done for us on the cross. And Father, I pray that You would bless even our time as we pray together and lift up one another and comfort one another with the truth. Thank You for our folks and working in Awana tonight and the children there tonight. Thank you for those ministering to our teens tonight. I think we have over 30 children in Awana tonight. We praise you for that. And we thank you for the number of teens as well. I don't know how many they have, but Lord, Lord, it's exciting to think about all of this work together to both comfort and edify so that we may together shine the light of Christ brightly in this world that is in such darkness, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in His name I pray. Amen.